and welcome to the September and October issue of FAA Safety Briefing Live. Once again, we have an informative and, and fun program for you. I'm Paul Prydecker, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Susan Parson. Susan, how are you? Hi, good evening. It's nice to be here. I'm, um, my voice is a little bit off tonight, but I'll try to make it work for the rest of the evening. Well, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, for our, for our viewers, tell us just a little bit about yourself, Susan. I'm the editor of the FA Safety Briefing Magazine. Work in FA Flight Standards, and uh, really enjoy the opportunity to do this and to do FA Safety Briefing live. Well, it's always fun, and you do such a nice job with the magazine. Uh, my role in this is to kind of co-host with Susan and. Um, I've been in aviation for about 30 years, um, general aviation for a good part of it, uh, still active in general aviation, and I'm currently a chief flight instructor for one of the regional airlines. Uh, but being back in general aviation is, is always a, a good time for me, and it's where, where many of us started. So let's, let's get the program started with just a, a few housekeeping things. Um, this is a program where you're able to earn wings or AMT credit. And Susan, tell us about how to do that and also about maybe where to find the answers for the quiz. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, you can earn wings credit. There's a link on the broadcast page and you see where it is right now, how you can click on that link to take a short quiz. The answers to everything that uh, you need to answer on the quiz should be covered in this broadcast. Although we certainly hope that you'll download and look at a copy of the magazine. We'll talk about how to do that later. Um, so to make sure that you get the full benefit of the information that we have available. The, the, next, uh, the next slide actually has a, a link to the print copy, which we encourage you to, to access. And to help you with WINGS credit, you'll find many of the answers for the associated quiz through the print copy. So download that, have a look, and let's, um, let's continue on. Susan, this, this magazine is easy to read. It's fact-filled, um, lots of information about general aviation and the, and the community. If you would, tell us just a little bit more about the, the goal of FAA Safety Briefing and what its main mission is. Sure, on the next slide, one of the things that we have is a copy, um, a piece about this magazine. This is our basic uh, setup. We try to make sure that we have a, a specific purpose for every one of our regular columns. And we have a theme for each of the issues. And we'll talk about the theme for this issue shortly. But you'll see on this page that this is our role. We wanna be the safety policy voice for a non-commercial GA community. And uh, just use the magazine to point you to resources that we have available and explain uh, things that only the FAA can explain sometimes. And also to, but most of all, to encourage continued training because that's what it's all about for all of us. That's great. So this, the feature article and the feature theme on this, this issue is the kaleidoscope issue. And I, I have to applaud your designers and graphics art staff because they always seem to do a wonderful job coming up with interesting um, art and photos for the cover. Um, as you well know, the last issue was the Casablanca themed issue, yes. which was a fun one to do. And uh, the cover was uh, a Casablanca themed cover. This cover is about uh, kaleidoscopes and an interesting graphic with uh, uh, aircraft as, as the pieces. I know you're going to cover this 
um, in a little bit more detail, but what else can we find in this issue, Susan? Well, you're going to find features. Um, so what, what this whole uh, thing is about is that the community is like uh, a kaleidoscope, and I will cover that shortly. But uh, we're trying to introduce some of the members of the aviation community, including some of what we do, but who some of our many community partners are and how they can be part of your community in various aspects. And you'll see the titles of the feature articles there on this particular slide. And the, and the theme of Kaleidoscope appears throughout many of the articles, so yes. I'm, I'm sure we'll have fun with that as we move along. You've, you've added a new column, uh, which is on our, our next slide about um, UAS and drones. So obviously they're a growing part of the Kaleidoscope community, so I see you've devoted a, um, a new column to that. Yes, we have. And this is going to be a, an ongoing feature um, or column regular department going forward. Uh, we've asked some of our many colleagues who deal with UAS or drone issues, that's a more common term, to help us to make sure that we, we cover these issues. But to open it up, we have uh, uh, one of our, our colleagues has written an article, uh, the first one on drone debrief, and we're calling it Welcome New Neighbors. And this is about introducing not just the, the column, which seemed to be a really appropriate thing to do for this issue of the magazine, given the drone community is working to integrate into the rest of the aviation community, which is really important, and vice versa, that all of us, we recognize that our friends in the drone community are pilots, uh, whether or not they fly manned aircraft. And we want to make sure that we're all getting to know each other and learning how to use the airspace together safely. So welcome new neighbors. That's the title of the column. And that's the, the theme that we want to continue to, to focus on. Well, and certainly with the recent weather events on the East Coast, you can see the importance of, of drones in the, in the airspace system and their contribution to providing um, important information for the news agencies as well as relief agencies. Yes, indeed. So as we often do, we're privileged to have a, a guest with us this evening, and it's my pleasure to introduce Paul Cienciolo. Paul, you're one of FAA's own, and in addition, you're also a member of the Civil Air Patrol. Can you give us a short bio and tell us a little about your involvement with FAA Safety Briefing Live and all the things that you do for the FAA? Sure, thanks for having me on. Um, I've been part of the FAA now for six years and I am a volunteer with the Civil Air Patrol and I've been a volunteer I think for 20, just over 20 years. Uh, started as a cadet in the Wisconsin Wing as part of their youth program and after high school I enlisted in the Air Force and got a chance to work security on a lot of the VIP aircraft, including Air Force One. Wow. Just a little background there when I got out. Um, then I uh, started working as a security at the Defense Intelligence Agency and some other defense contractors and went into some intelligence work, management analysis, public affairs, and eventually was working public affairs at the DIA and Homeland Security, uh, working working there and then still volunteer with Civil Air Patrol and I'm the vice commander of the National Capital Wing here in the DC area. Well, well and I No, go ahead, Susan. I, yeah, I know Paul from both Civil Air Patrol and the one of the little pieces he left out when you talked about the fact that he's with the FAA is that a few years ago we stole him away 
to be a member of the magazine staff. And we'll be talking about some of the roles that he has here on the magazine. So I think that six years in the FAA is, uh, that's, that's mostly with us, time flies. It sure does. Paul, we will uh, come back to you a little bit later in the, in the broadcast where you will um, tell us a little bit more about the article that you've contributed to the uh, magazine. So glad to have you part of the group and we'll get back to you um, a little bit later in the broadcast. The, the next um, article is a standing article called Jump Seat. And uh, this one is, is authored by John Duncan. Um, a, a quick summary of it is to really talk about the role of flight standards as part of the aviation community. And, and Susan, I, I suspect that this column might be a bittersweet column for you because John has moved on and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the article and about John. Sure. Well, this is about the FAA's role in the community as the introduction. Uh, we actually have multiple roles in the community which will be discussed throughout the, the issue. But this talks about the FAA's role in setting standards and particularly flight standards role and setting standards, um, issuing certificates, certifications based on those standards. And then the biggest piece is continued operational safety to make sure that everyone is continuing to operate in accordance with the standards that were the basis for the certification. Uh, the bittersweet part is that, uh, yes, back in July, um, John Duncan accepted an offer for a promotion, uh, which we're happy to see him get. Uh, he is now the Deputy Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety. And so this is his final uh, column and jump seat. But as, as our regular readers know, John is an avid general aviation pilot, and I'm sure you'll continue to see him around uh, places like Sun and Fun and AirVenture. Meanwhile, in our next issue, we'll be introducing Rick Domingo, who's the new Executive Director for the Flight Standards Service. So. Uh, this is a, a little bit of a, a farewell, but uh, I'm sure we'll continue to see him around. Well, and the next issue will be a, will be a hello to Rick, I suppose. Absolutely. Can you, can you comment just a little bit, Susan, on the, on the role of the compliance philosophy in the um, continued operational safety? Sure. I mean, this is something that the FAA has been stressing a lot, um, and we've talked about it in issues in the magazine. We've certainly talked about it in, uh, in some of the previous broadcasts. Compliance philosophy is the idea that everybody who, who operates in the national airspace system is required to comply with regulations. Um, that's just a basic thing. And also to exercise risk management and do everything that you can for safety. Um, but this is a very complex system. People make mistakes. Uh, most people don't plan to make mistakes. But the idea is that we, we want people to communicate, collaborate, cooperate in finding and fixing the problem before it causes an accident or incident. And that means that uh, for those who are willing and able and who cooperate, that uh, the, the, the remedy fixing the problem might be something like uh, you know, more training or something like that. What we don't want is for people to hide problems for fear that they will get some kind of, of enforcement sanction. But of course, enforcement is still a, a tool that the FAA has for those who are not willing or able to comply. So it, it's a balance, but uh, that's certainly been something that John has talked a lot about over the years. Very good. So the, our next uh, topic on this um, issue is about some recent changes. In um, I believe it was at the end of June of this year, 
the FAA published a final um, rule that addresses some, I would say, relief um, from regulations that directly affect general aviation, um, both individuals as well as the training providers. Uh, this this article summarizes a little bit of that. And what are what are some of the key points of this, Susan? Well, you see uh, right here on on this page um, the some of the issues that that uh, where there's been relief um, instrument instructor requirements, some of the sport pilot instructor training. There's there's a whole long list here. The uh, the screenshot from the issue um, shows you how we have summarized. Um, each of the topics that you see on that page, what we've done is we've provided a quick sentence or two, and it also includes the effect. Effect, but there are a couple that don't take effect until later in the year. So, we'd certainly strongly encourage you to read this article. It's only a couple of pages, and take note of some of the changes. It's all about uh, one of the things that we've been trying very hard to do is find ways to make it easier through this kind of regulatory relief. Well, and I think people in the general aviation community, in particular in the in the flight instructing community, I think will. will... Exactly. Um, and some of the, the things that it, people have been looking for in the sport pilot area, I think will be very welcome as well. Sure. So let's let's move on to the cover story, Kaleidoscope. Um, you, you have a very nice description of a, of a kaleidoscope and, you know, the, the actual um, artwork and how this has been a symbol of, of this, this issue and, and the aviation community. And I, I think I was at um, Experimental Aviation Association's, you know, Oshkosh um, meeting at the end of July when I heard somebody in one of the forums make a comment. And I think this is a really interesting way of kind of summarizing some of this. But the comment was, is that flying brings people together, but organizations about flying keep them together. So that seems to be the focus of, of, of this issue and, and about the kaleidoscope thing. Yeah, that's a great phrase. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I, I think that's a, if we had thought of it, we, or if we had heard it before, we probably <laughs> would have put it in the magazine. Um, but yeah, we, we were, we wanted to do something about um, all the organizations in the community and we're trying to figure out how to present it because we always do try to present things in creative and interesting ways. Um, so certainly we tried to do that with issue. But um, it occurred to me while we were pondering that, that and when I was a kid, actually, I don't have to still be a kid to love kaleidoscopes. I think it's just really fun. You pick it up and you twist it and you can make a different shape with just a tiny little twist. And it seemed to us in thinking about it that um, the communities that we are part of or that are part of our own individual, uh, our own individual aviation community, they change over time. Um, you can add or subtract as your experience changes. Um, if I decide to get into, I mean, we've talked about getting glider ratings. So there are some glider organizations that might become part of my aviation community in the future. So we just thought that would be a good organizing theme to talk about how you can shift the people, the organizations of a part of and create your own unique community. And our graphic designer did a really great job in, um, in, in illustrating that with the, the cover piece. Yeah, it's marvelous. We'll, we'll go on um, in, a, in a few more um, articles to talk about some of the aviation organizations that, that form part of the community and uh, give some good examples. Um, 
But let's move on to the uh, faces of the FAA. And I have to say that uh, I've met Val before uh, at several times during the EAA convention. It seems like I was never at the FAA safety pavilion when Val wasn't engaged in something. He seems <laughs> to be involved in just about everything. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty accurate statement. And if you've met Val, you know that uh, she's one of the people the word exuberant was made for. Um, she is very outgoing, um, very enthusiastic about aviation and about all the parts of aviation. So I and she you'll, you'll see on this slide a, a quick summary of some of the experience that we talk about in faces that she brings. Um, she's an active pilot, as, as it says at the end, she still flies herself to 99's meetings, which is great. Um, but, but we thought that she would be an appropriate person to have for this column, for this particular column, because one of her roles is that she is the national manager for the FAA safety team or the FAST team. So it, uh, and given that that is a big part of what the FAA brings to the aviation community and particularly to this aviation community, uh, we thought she would be a perfect person to introduce here. If you have not met Val in person, I hope you'll have an opportunity because um, you'll you'll enjoy it, and she will certainly enjoy you. Well, I noticed in the summary of some of her experiences, she's she's had some experience on the Dornier 328. Oh, yeah. And this is an aircraft which is near and dear to my heart because this was the first aircraft that I um, learned to fly under a Part 121 environment and actually um, became a flight instructor and check pilot on the airplane. But there's only 125 of them made. So anybody who's had experience in, I, I feel some uh, affinity for. Well, I think maybe you need to have a reunion to discuss the Dornier next time you happen to run into each other. That would be fun. I'm sure, I'm sure we could share some stories. That, that leads us into the next um, part of the presentation called Life in the Fast Lane. And it's about the FAST team and all of its contributions to, to general aviation. I, I was astounded to see the number of safety seminars that have been done, um, the number of webinars. Of course, most people think about the FAST team as, as, well, this is the wings thing. But it's so much more, isn't it? It is so much more. The, the FAST team is about safety promotion. And one of the things that goes into its work is some of the, the issues that we talked about in the last um, in the last safety briefing live when we had Corey Stevens with us. Um, it's about using data, using information to try to identify where the areas are that there need to be focus on. And the FAST team is a coordinated effort to bring all those things together and to um, to use that information to develop targeted safety interventions of various sorts. Um, and a lot of the, the topics for safety programs and seminars come from what might be national issues. And in some cases, they, there may be more localized issues, but the information that we have is available for that. The piece of the FAST team that most people are familiar with is the safety programs. I, as a, I, I think I'm officially called a safety program provider. I used to be in the old system, an aviation safety counselor. But uh, I've certainly given my share of, um, of safety programs, contributed to some of the courses on fasafety.gov, um, lots of information there and ability to get to not just FA content, but other uh, courses that our community partners have contributed 
do safety promotion. So uh, safety.gov is a great source with a lot of information on it. And and I noticed um, in the other pages of the article, the number of accounts that have been created is a, a staggering number. So this is obviously providing a, a wonderful educational and aviation resource. Yes, indeed. So the, the next article gets actually into more about the Kaleidoscope um, community and aviation, uh, reflections on an aviation community. Um, Susan, the article addresses, you know, some of the major groups that are so well known, AOPA and EAA. But what's, what's interesting and what I find, you know, is indicative of your issue and supporting of this concept is that all of these organizations are like the parent group to many other um, smaller groups within their own organization. I mean, a perfect example would be a number of local EAA chapters each form their own individual aviation community. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's a really good way to put it. I, I, I hadn't thought about that particular parent-child relationship, but yes, it, um, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, we, we talk about in this issue um, those lar- the large or- organizations whose missions include advocacy as well as partnership, and everybody has a, an important safety piece. One of the things you mentioned EAA, one of the, the really big things that they do um, since the, the whole mission is uh, it started with experimental aircraft is really doing a lot to, to try to build a community and safety practices within the experimental aircraft community. AOPA does it with the Air Safety Institute. They have all sorts of courses and materials that are available to everyone for free. And it's all about trying to, uh, to, to do as much as you possibly can to, uh, um, as much as you, you possibly can do to, to be safe. So this is an introduction to those issues. And, and we didn't just talk about them, we talked to them. Uh, you'll notice in these articles that we introduce and, and have conversations with some of the um, the people who are part of these organizations and who work cooperatively and collaboratively with the FAA. Well, and and certainly examples of that would be in the ACS and, and the contributions that, that members of those organizations have made. Absolutely. Sure. Yes, that, that's a big part of our partnership. And we'll be doing that tomorrow and over the next couple of days, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, that leads us into a, an interesting article about the space between strat, strategy and tactics. And this, this caught my eye because in a, in a former life, I was a VP of marketing and the gentleman that owned the company used to come up to me and he'd say, you know, I don't really know what you do as a marketing person. And I would say, well, you know, marketing is the strategy and the sales is the tactical part. And, and he would kind of scratch his head and he said, well, it just looks like you spend most of the money. And I said, well, that's part of the strategy. So I see this article and um, how the authors introduced the part about operational and it has a direct relation to what we're talking about in terms of aviation communities and aviation groups. Yeah, I thought it was a creative way to to look at it. He, he talks about the difference between operational mode and and the mission. And I, our graphical designer did a nice job in, in 
um, using color to, to show the distinction and to identify the, art, the, the different organizations. When you flip through this article, you'll see um, it's an introduction to a lot of organizations. Um, the one that comes to mind right away is women in aviation because you know, that's, um, so we, we introduce groups that have, um, have one purpose and then we have uh, also groups that have a specific purpose, um, for example, recreational flying, that sort of thing. Um, and the, what, the way that, that it's presented is there's a, a short snippet introduction to each of the organizations with a little bit of information on how to find them. So we're, we're hoping that you can use this as a way to acquaint yourself with some of the organizations out there that can contribute to your sense of community in the aviation world, to partnership and to bettering your training and safety, uh, whether it's mode or mission. And I'll let you read the article to get a better sense of what, uh, how, how the, he's divided that up. Well, as I, as I went through the magazine, I got the distinct impression that there's an organization for everybody. I think that's true. And in the aviation world, um, the fact that there's an organization for everybody, there's also, um, there, there are, we, we can all be part of many organizations and still be part of the same overall aviation community, which is what we are. Sure. Susan, let's let's welcome back Paul to the group. And um, Paul, you've made a, a contribution to the, to the magazine with a very nice article. And plus, I understand you have a video to share with us. So um, go ahead and give us a little bit of highlights about about what this is. Uh, sure. This article is about the Civil Air Patrol and started the article out with with a little um, calm chatter of what you might hear if you're being intercepted by a military or law enforcement aircraft. And we're going to watch the video really quick. Um, this video was taken when Civil Air Patrol was practicing for Super Bowl security last year. And this is with the Homeland Security helicopter. So not only is this a practice, you know, for the pilots on how to intercept the aircraft, but it's also how to, how to use the radio and how to actually talk to the pilot and position the, intercepting helicopter or fighter aircraft, you know, in the right position. So let's take a look here. Great. Is it about 7.30 coming to 8 o'clock? November 7, 7, 8, Charlie Papa. This is Homeland Security Helicopter on your left door, reply. Uh, for the exercise, what seems to be the problem? Uh, we're en route from uh, David Wayne uh, Memorial Airport. You have uh, entered a TFR, and uh, you need to exit the TFR immediately. I was not aware of the TFR departed David Wayne Memorial, showing off uh, the sights of the relatives earlier this morning, and uh, now returning. May I continue uh, to my destination for the exercise? Yeah, you can continue eastbound for now, and uh, we'll follow you and escort you out. Yeah, bye, Bill. Uh, Roger, cab 4278 N778, Charlie Papa. Hey, Charlie Papa, good job. Thanks, guys. We're, uh, we're heading back to a little bit. Uh, Roger that. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. <laughs> Okay, if 
if you ever do find yourself in that predicament where you're getting intercepted, um, in the beginning of the article here, we have a link to download our intercept procedures. So if you're curious on what you're supposed to do if you're intercepted, uh, make sure to download those and take a look. Uh, so what is the Civil Air Patrol? A lot of people understand the Civil Air Patrol from its World War II days. It was established to basically take all of the civilian aviation resources and put them out there for the national defense, uh, mainly um, against the German U-boats that were coming up the coast. So that's what Civil Air Patrol was during World War II. After World War II, Civil Air Patrol was chartered as a nonprofit by Congress, and that's outlined in Title 36. So part of that congressional mandate, uh, we'll break it down into five, five items here. Uh, the first one is to encourage citizens to support aviation and be an example through volunteerism. So Civil Air Patrol is made up of all volunteers. There's just a minimal staff of less than 100 people that support the Civil Air Patrol with its headquarters down at Maxwell. Um, even the CEO of the corporation is a volunteer member. Uh, right now, if you look at the back of the magazine, you'll see Major General Mark Smith, and he is the Civil Air Patrol's national commander, so he's on the back of the magazine. It was good to uh, to put him on this particular one. So, Yeah, we were able to catch him at Oshkosh when he was out there visiting the, the, uh, the members working. Uh, this, the second item, the second congressional mandate, is to provide aviation training to its members. Last year, Civil Air Patrol flew 30,000 orientation flights for the youth or the cadets that are in the program and for ROTC and junior ROTC cadets. Uh, that, that's a lot of hours. Uh, that's a lot. Of, that's kind of like uh, the CAP's equivalent of Young Eagles, only it's, uh, it's rather exactly. more structured than that. Um, I know... I, I'm also fortunate to be involved in the CAP, and uh, there's there is a lot of enthusiasm for that program. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably our youth program's best opportunity is to get out there and fly. Um, third one is to promote the development of civil aviation in local communities, and you'll you'll see uh, civil air patrol members out there volunteering at air shows and different events and 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 things like that. So that's where they're participating. Um, fourth one is to rally its volunteers to respond to local and national emergencies. And if you're aware, uh, with Hurricane Florence right now, that Civil Air Patrol is ramping up. We've had Civil Air Patrol volunteers in the FEMA National Operations Center since the start of the hurricane. Um, for pilots, we're sending air crews um, from all over the area down They've already started to, tomorrow they'll be going out and looking at um, some dams and critical infrastructure for FEMA. Um, they did a mission today looking for stranded people in Jones County. And the FAA is putting a request in for FEMA. So Civil Air Patrol is going to be helping the FAA out. And they're going to be flying over all of the air traffic control towers, all of the local airports, all of the nav aids, and the radio towers um, to assess the damage for the FAA. And that's just another mission that our Civil Air Patrol, our auxiliary airmen get to do. And the last congressional mandate is to assist the Air Force with its non-combat programs and missions. And part of that is our search and rescue um, missions. A, a lot of those, uh, let's let's see, last year there was about 700 missions and yeah. 100,000 hours flown in search and rescue missions. So there was uh, 110 lives saved last year. 
this year we're already up to 148 lives. Is your puppy trying to save you? I think your dog is trying to save you. Yes, I, I think I think she is. So, I, you know, Paul, one of the things that uh, I know from CAP is uh, I think well a lot of people, if they they can they think about CAP as having those World War II air defense origins, but uh, the search and rescue has been uh, along with the cadet orientation flights. It's been kind of the signature program for CAP, and that's what people think of that if you get lost, the Civil Air Patrol, or if you Unfortunately, if you have an accident, the Civil Air Patrol is going to come looking for you. And it certainly is something that the CAP does. But when I got involved, I was really surprised to find the breadth of the other missions. There's counter drug, um, counter drug uh, support. And increasingly, just like you said, there, there is a focus on homeland security missions. Um, the other thing that I, I think your article goes into, which I think is fascinating, is uh, CEP has a cell phone forensics team now, and mm. they use um, not just airplanes to find people, but but uh, triangulating GPS data from cell phone locations, and it's it's a pretty complicated process. But along with uh, the flight missions, they've had a lot of saves over the past couple of years that they've been up and running. I know that we've talked about that at some of the recent conventions. Yeah, the majority of the lives saved are now credited to the cell phone forensics team. Um, I think it's more than a hundred of them this year have been from that team, and uh, we also and they also work with the radar analysis team as well, trying to track down. They kind of go hand in hand, the cell phone forensics and the radar analysis. Yep. One of the things that I can add to, as well as you know, we we talk about the community focus on safety. Um, I had an opportunity to serve previously as the National uh, Stan Aval Officer for CAP, and I'm still uh, connected to the National Stan Aval team in another capacity. But one of the things that we are very, um, very, very focused on in that organization is safe operations. And um, we, we do check flights for pilots. Uh, it's not like a check ride, but it's certainly a proficiency check to make sure that you can operate safely in the context of the Civil Air Patrol's um, operations. So it, it's, a, it's a great organization with a, an awful lot to offer to pretty much anybody who wants to be part of it. Not, uh, you don't, there, we, we have a lot of non-pilots in the CAP. Yeah, one, one thing Civil Air Patrol is doing this year is revamping its safety program and the whole safety yes. culture. And they're adopting the safety management system. So airlines right now are required to have a safety management system in place for the whole corporation. And Civil Air Patrol is adopting that and pieces and parts of that in, in designing a program. So we're not just looking at just the pilot safety, but all around. Paul, since you brought us the video on, on helicopters... Um, can you take the next article for us on vertically speaking and just just give us a brief summary? Sure. This article um, talks about that the uh, helicopter accident rate has actually increased last year. Um, there was a decline and it's coming back up. Um, the helicopter safety team is working to promote uh, 22 safety enhancement topics. And some of those are doing a final walk around security and securing external cargo. Uh, pre-flight risk assessment for student flights, helicopter flight data monitoring, full authority idle protection devices, hazards of over-the-counter medication, and um, unmanned aircraft or drones in high-risk environments are some of the topics that the helicopter safety team is going to cover. 
So one, one little plug here is the International Rotorcraft Safety Conference is free and it's going on in the Fort Worth area in October, the end of October, and it talks about that there. Very good. Paul, thanks so much for your contributions. Um, you you've certainly are engaged at the FAA and provide a lot of valuable work for them and also for the Civil Air Patrol. So thank you so much. Thank you. Susan, the, the next article is um, Angle of Attack, and it takes a look. Uh, the article is about what's your type, and it um, breaks down a little bit more about the aviation community and looking at different organizations, smaller special interest groups, uh, type clubs, uh, I would say niche flying areas like backcountry flying. Um, you do, there's a, it's a nice review of, of those items, and again, good examples of, of different ways that there's opportunities to reach out and be part of a group. Yeah, type clubs are a big thing. I know that uh, I, I'm a member of a flying club that owns a Cessna 182, and we have in the past paid for one of our, our members to be part of the, the Cessna Pilots Association, um, which is a type club. The whole idea is to share information. Um, there, share information about the type of aircraft. I know the Mooney pilots are pretty... Um, are pretty uh, tightly knit. I think some of them call themselves Mooniacs. Um, and uh, they, they certainly make sure that they share information with each other, particularly with aging aircraft about where you might find parts or some of the issues that you've had. Some of these forums can be very, very lively. So we certainly want to encourage people to, to consider type clubs as part of your aviation community. Another thing that this article talks about is the fact that uh, that there is a type club coalition, which is a, a group of, it, it's a coalition so that type clubs can share information with each other. Um, and uh, it's, it's a little bit like the parent and child organization, uh, organization that you talked about earlier. This is an opportunity for, but this started with all the type clubs and then they sort of organized themselves into a type club coalition for common purposes. So it's great stuff. And if you have a particular interest in a particular type of aircraft, you're very likely to be able to find a type club or a group um, online or otherwise that can help you out. And, and something on special interest groups um, for various kinds of flying. So it's, Absolutely. it's, a, it's a nice summary. The, the next feature article is, um, is called Checklist, and it looks at the um it, aviators code of model code of conduct and i have to say that when i first read the article I, I was intrigued by some of the concepts but when i went on to the website i was really um, really interested in the, the depth and the content of of what this offers uh, i looked at the flight instructor's model code of conduct it, it's it covers um ideas and I would say goals for training, for technology, for promotion, for care of your passengers and security. So tell us a little bit about the Code of Conduct. Well, the Code of Conduct is actually a family of documents. Mm -hmm. um, it's the brainchild of uh, somebody I, I'm privileged to call a friend named Michael Baum. Uh, he's based in California and we've, we tend to see each other at uh, various conferences. 
he thought that, that this was something that the community needed. And But uh, rather than try to put it all together himself, he pulled together a group of people. And they spent a lot of time trying to hammer out the basic um, idea for what the aviator's motive might the aviator's model code of conduct should be and should look like. So they uh, they came up with one, and that led to others. Um, there's this is this is not just a simple let's write it down and be done with it. There's a lot of commentary that goes along with it. I'm sure you came across that when you sure. uh, when you looked at the website. And they're also open to changes. But um, but the most uh, one of the things that really fits into this issue is the fact that they've just recently published a model code of conduct for remote pilots. So this is about bringing remote pilots, uh, drone operators into the community as pilots and as members of, of the team that we all wanna be on. So it's great stuff. We have a link to the webpage in this article and we'd strongly encourage you to, to download not just the full copy, but there's also a, a kneeboard size version that you can have with you. And I, I believe it's secureav.com. Yes, it is. Um, okay. And uh, you'll you'll find it in there, but uh, there there's pretty much a code for everything that you could possibly look at. And I believe they also have something for passengers. So that's interesting as well. Yeah, no, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, as you said, it's a collection of documents that Again, there's something for everybody for every kind of flying that um, addresses our main goals of safety and training and education. Well, safety, training, and education, but it's also about being a good community citizen. I think that's an a important good piece. A good steward a, of aviation. A good steward of aviation, a good ambassador for aviation. Um, it's uh, kind of like what we all supposedly learn in kindergarten, how to play nice with other people. In this case, it's how to play nice with your fellow aviators. For sure, for sure. And the, the, the next article called Post Flight is, is really um, something that should not be overlooked, and that is the role of FAA safety briefing as part of the Kaleidoscope Aviation community. Even, even this webinar is part of it. Yeah, well, that's what we certainly hope. Um, Post-flight, uh, it, it appears in a different place in this presentation, but of course, we always use that to close out the issue. And that's my opportunity to try to tie a bow on the issue, wrap it up and summarize things. But but this issue, um, in this issue, I thought it was appropriate to go a little bit more into detail about some of the things that we we skim over at the beginning of each safety briefing live. What are the purposes of this magazine? Uh, we're here to be the safety policy voice for non-commercial GA. Uh, and the, what the article does is it talks about the three roles that we list on the previous um, issue or on the previous slide, but in puts those in terms of some of the issues that we've done that focus on those very topics. Um, I, I confess in this particular article that the place that's probably nearest and dearest to my heart is encouraging continued training, which we do. We try to do in every issue in every way, shape and form. But I think we particularly did that with the last issue, round up the usual suspects. We want to encourage people to go out, get training, make sure you don't make the same mistakes that other people have made before you. Yeah, very good. That nuts, bolts and electrons is is the magazine's um, 
opportunity to look at what goes on for maintenance issues and, and mechanics. And this one is actually a, about an article about V-bands. And V-bands are essentially the clamping mechanisms that are often found in exhaust systems and also in turbocharger systems. And because they're in areas of exceptionally high temperatures, they're, they're subject to failure. And I was surprised to see that the failures of, of V-bands and, and exhaust and turbocharged systems um, have been responsible for a number of fatalities due to either in-flight smoke or fire. So this is a, an excellent article and a, a summary of the issue. And in it, you'll see that there's a, a V-band working group that's comprised of uh, both industry and government experts um, whose charge is to make recommendations for you know, improvement in installation and especially in inspection. Um, included in the article is a, a summary of best practices and actual recommendations on timeframes and what to look for. So it's very interesting and for all of us that are in piston aircraft, it's an important topic. Well, it is, and uh, I think it, it might be of interest as well to uh, anybody who's mechanically inclined, we certainly hope so. Um, and I know that you you were at one point an aircraft builder, so um, I'm sure I'm, that's one of the reasons I left it to you to explain this one. I, um, I, I have to admit my aircraft building skills did not help me with this topic. I did a little bit of research. <laughs> But again, it's, it's good information um, directed towards um, just a common component in many aircraft. The, the next two columns are the um, standard columns in the, in the magazine, Aeromedical Advisory and Condition Inspection. Um, as always, we have a, a, a summary of that. The first one um, is written by the um, federal air surgeon, Mike Berry. And the second one, condition inspection, is about OSA or obstructive sleep apnea. Yeah, on the, the Dr. Berry's column this time, uh, Aeromedical Advisory, in, in keeping with our community theme, one of the things that he does with this piece is to introduce and stress the role of regional flight surgeons. I think you, you have your, this, this is another, the aviation medical team is a community as well. So you have the federal air surgeon, you have the AMEs, and the regional flight surgeon is a, is a piece of that too. And he talks about how um, in many cases you can use the, you need to build your medical team up to including the regional flight surgeon to help address particular issues. And I, this, I think the piece does a really nice job in explaining what the role of that individual or that particular function is and how it can contribute to helping you solve problems. Well, and then condition inspection um, highlights a, a topic which is certainly important. Um, it's received a lot of attention. And for people who um, have been diagnosed or who might be dealing with OSA or obstructive sleep apnea, there is help. And this, this article summarizes, you know, what it is and what you can do. Yeah, I think uh, obstructive sleep apnea is one of the health issues that is certainly not unique to aviation. Um, it's I, I think at first may have um, gotten attention in the trucking industry, but it turns out that um, just as you could probably be lulled if you're tired 
on the road, the same thing could happen in an airplane. And so there, as you say, this is, this is all about what, what it is and how it would be diagnosed, how it would be treated and certainly how it could be issued. I have, I have several friends who have special issuance for obstructive sleep apnea. So everything, almost uh, an awful lot of things are possible in certification nowadays. Well, it, I, I'm familiar with several pilots um, at, at our airline who, who deal with it. Um, they've gone through the process, they've done what's been recommended. And as you say, they, they can get a special issuance and, and carry on with their, with their flying and their careers. But it's an, it's an important and timely topic that I, I see more and more news about. Your, your next feature article, Susan, is ATIS, and it's a bit of a roundup, I would say, of um, just tidbits of information and news that's in, that important to, to the community. Um, what, what are some of those? Well, it starts off with the false alerts from the 406 ELT. So there, the, what you'll see over the, the couple of pages are the topics that are listed here. Um, IFR clearance by phone is one of the things that caught my eye, and it might catch yours as well. So too. take a look at that. Um, there, are, there are a lot of, um, the, it, it's kind of interesting, ATIS is, is our, it is our news roundup. Some of you may remember that FA safety briefing a few years ago used to be called FA Aviation News. We changed the name because we wanted to focus on safety and also because, because we publish every couple of months. Um, we, we didn't think that, it, that news was really what we were trying to do, but we do have this snippet of, of roundup items that are um, particular, that, that have a little bit more stability than your typical breaking news, as they say on TV. Well, and the other one that always catches my attention is um, any discussion and initiatives concerning stabilized approach. Yes. This, this, is, a, this is a topic that ad- addresses every level of, of, of aviation. I, I was recently um, looking at an NTSB video uh, concerning stabilized approaches, and they, they used the um, Asiana accident as an example of a, of a failure to follow an unstabilized approach. Um, it's a, something that we need to stress and teach in our flight instructing in general aviation. Uh, we deal with it as a, as a topic in um, Part 121 training. And even um, we've taken on a, a new way, actually, of flying um, non-precision approaches. It, it used to be fairly common to do what was called dive and drive, where you just leave the final approach fix and dive down to the MDA and level off and look for the runway. And now we, we do a, uh, what we call CDFA or constant descent a final approach which is a, a, a very big initiative in the community to just find a better way to fly a stabilized approach. And it, it applies to everybody. Yeah, so that, that is definitely one of the topics for safety enhancements. And we, we use this particular part of the magazine to advertise those and to point people to the ones that are coming. And that certainly is one of the topics we would like everybody to look at. Indeed. Uh, Susan, let's, let's bring our, our guest Paul back. Um, as we begin to wrap things up a little bit, um, comments about social media and your efforts in that, Paul, and all the things that the FAA has to offer. Can you help us out with that? Paul, I think you may be muted. Maybe you muted your mic. There we go. Um, All right. 
one note there is this month's topic is stabilized approach and go around. So if you go to FAA's Facebook page or take a look at our Twitter account or LinkedIn, uh, you will see recently in the last couple of days that we did post our um, fact sheet on stabilized approach. So that, that is a good read. But we do we do contribute to FAA's social media. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube. And if you go to YouTube, there's a general aviation playlist on the FAA's YouTube channel. That's definitely one that you want to check out. And uh, we're on Twitter at FAA Safety Brief is our Twitter handle. So that goes directly to us. Uh, we like to use Twitter. If you have a question or you have a comment or something, use Twitter on that. And we're, we're and looking you, at the manager. Paul, are you the manager of all the social media yes. for the FAA? Yes. Wow. Sorry, I'm a social media manager for our, our GA outreach. Wow. So um, most likely it's going to be me answering. Well, the other thing that Paul did for us is uh, he helped not just with the PDF electronic format for the magazine, as you see on this page, but we have it available in various formats. Uh, he's pioneered the use of Adobe Spark and uh, in getting some of our articles out um, and as well as a lot of diagnostic information. When we have editorial board meetings and editorial uh, planning sessions, um, Paul C. always brings along the data to show what is a hit and what uh, what we might have done a little bit better on. So we're th this is a way of saying that not just uh, that we're, we're listening, we're trying to be in the community wherever other people are, and that includes social media, but um, but also listening and answering and engaging, and that's what uh, Twitter and Facebook allow us to do. Um, and Paul, did you want to mention our new page? Uh, yes, we do have a new Facebook group uh, that's geared towards the general aviation community. So it's called General Aviation Safety. And we want everyone who's a pilot or a mechanic to join that group. because We want to be able to reach, get the right information to the right people instead of just throwing stuff out there on Facebook and hoping that you'll get it. Um, so it's it's a little more curated. You have to be part of the community, be part of the group. So we do ask some questions if you go to the group and join. So if you go to the FAA's main Facebook page and click on groups, then you'll be able to find the safety group there. And you'll probably be to, talking to Paul C. again. Yeah, yeah, then you will. I also wanted to point out on our, our homepage, you you will see these odd file file types. There's an EPUB and a .mobi file. And the .mobi is so you can read our magazine on your Kindle the simple black and white Kindle. Um, if you're not familiar with that, you have to take that file and use it and click send to Kindle. Um, but once it's on there, it's just the text version. So there's no pictures or anything fancy or anything like that, but just the text. And if you use the EPUB reader, that's, that's kind of for everything else. If you're using Windows 10, it'll automatically open in the new browser um, edge. So you can actually read it right there, but it's, it's just a simple text version as well. And if you scroll down the page, all of our feature articles are, we have them on Adobe Spark right now, but if you click on them, it's going to open up a mobile-friendly version of just the feature article. And because it's online, we do add some extra content to it. So as an example, the Civil Air Patrol article has that video that you saw embedded right there in the article. Yeah, it's great stuff. And, and you've done a really great job in, in helping to make sure that we are where everybody is, which is on various forms of social media. 
and to make our content accessible wherever people happen to be. Most of us live now on our phones and iPads, and uh, so there we are. So yeah, the idea there is we, we promote one of the articles, and we'll send you, or we'll have the link on Facebook, for example, or Twitter, and it'll go right to that mobile-friendly article, so you don't have to download a PDF on your phone. One of the one of the columns in the magazine is about uh, feedback, where people have an opportunity to uh, give feedback about the um, some of the articles or the issues. Um, Susan, how does somebody send you or send the magazine some information or questions? Well, Paulo's just explained uh, Twitter and Facebook and some of the opportunities you have, but we also have uh, an email box. You'll see that here. And you can, if, if you don't want to type it in, you can scan the QR code and it'll take you right to our mailbox. It is monitored. We do answer. And uh, unless somebody asks us not to, we'll publish the Q's and A's and the comments in flight forum. So there it is. This is a conversation. And what about, what about archived issues? Yeah, on the previous page that we showed you, um, we we there's a link uh, near the bottom that says archived issues. And when we get to the, so you'll see that at the very bottom in the shaded box. And then when we go to the next uh, page, um, you can see examples, just little cover shots of some of the, uh, um, there we go. You'll see uh, examples of some of the mo more recent issues, some of the topics that you can get to. You can still download the issues. You can still read the, uh, a lot of the articles online, whatever you need to do, but but we do aim for shelf stability. Try to make sure that our 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 issues will be current for a while, so you can use them as reference. And once again, let's uh, remind our viewers about how to um, get wings and AMT credit. Yep, you go to the broadcast page, click on the link, um, take a short quiz that hopefully will be really easy after watching this broadcast and flipping through the magazine, and you'll get Wings credit for tonight's presentation. And if you need the print copy on the next broadcast page, we have a link directly to that. Uh, yes, indeed. And for those who may have missed previous broadcasts, if you um, here we have a link to the archive broadcast, so you can still take uh, previous courses or look at previous presentations as courses and get WINGS credit for those if you missed one. Well, Susan and Paul, it's, it's been fun. Um, we have a FAA safety briefing live again in November and December. We're scheduled to broadcast on November the 5th. And... I can see the designers at work already. So what's, what's this issue about? Well, the theme is going to be birds of a different feather, and we're looking at different types of aviation. Um, and there, there's one article I just read the other day that uh, one of our drafts that, that gives a lot of information about what goes into specialty aircraft and experimental aircraft. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking at... Um, an LSA flying something that is not your typical traditional Cessna. Um, I love my Cessna, but there's a lot of stuff out there that you can fly. And we'll be looking at uh, the range of airplanes in the airplane community. So lots of different feathers and lots of different birds. So be, look, look for it. Well, I'll be looking forward to joining you on another edition of this. 
And Paul, thanks so much for your contributions, for everything you're doing for both the Civil Air Patrol and as well as for the FAA. You're, you're doing a wonderful job and the social media aspect is, is essential for the community. Thank you. Don't forget to send us a tweet at FAA Safety Brief. Very good. Susan, thanks so much. Thank you, we'll Paul, you and Paul and Paul P and Paul C. Good night, everybody.